He lives in Westchester, New York, and is the author of the book Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal. This book's gotten a lot of really good reviews, and it's even been called a thought-provoking read, sure to attract intrigued skeptics and believers alike. It's even in development for a major film by Jason Bloom from Bloomhouse Productions. That's the production company behind uh, movies like Paranormal Activity, Insidious, and The Purge. Very impressive. Welcome to Parareality, Dr. Gallagher. Well, thank you for the invitation. Yes, sir. I have been looking forward to this for a while now, and we've been trying to work it out. I had to cancel a couple of times and, and uh, reschedule, so I'm, I'm very happy that we finally got our schedules worked out and you could be on the podcast with me. Well, good. So I have a, a ton of questions, and I'm, I'm going to start out by saying you have an impressive background, Yale University, and you've been on the, the, uh, you're on the faculty of Columbia University, and uh, you've been uh, on the, since the 1990s on the International Association of Exorcists. Now, you are not an exorcist yourself, right? No, absolutely. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not an exorcist. Uh, okay. I am a psychiatrist who does primarily pro bono uh, evaluations of people uh, for different clergy, you know, primarily okay. primarily Catholic clergy, but I've done it for uh, actually clergy and people of all religions. And, okay. uh, you know, because of Zoom and telephones, I probably have seen more of these genuine cases than any physician in history. Uh, yeah. Because of modern communication uh, ability. Uh, but I also, I also rule out you know, people who just mistakenly think they're demonically attacked. Uh, right, not. right. Again, you know, when I when I talk about these cases, keep in mind, these are not patients of mine, you know. Right. There, there are people that you have been contacted by another person to, to interview. Usually, yeah, yeah. And how did you get invited to, to investigate these suspected cases of demonic possession? Well, I always emphasize that uh, I never volunteered. <laughs> uh, and I, 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 to tell you the truth, I don't think this is a good field to volunteer in. No. Uh, um, long story short, I had finished my residency uh, at Yale, and I was working at the time for Cornell Medical College as, a, as an academic psychiatrist, which I am, as well as a clinician. In fact, I primarily regard myself as a, a, a clinician. Um, and this uh, kind of rumpled looking uh, priest, uh, Catholic priest, who was also a prominent exorcist at the time. And at a time when they're, they're actually, I mean, it's not that long ago, but it, it's a time where there were still very few Catholic exorcists in America. Uh, okay. So, this guy and his colleague, who I especially worked with, uh, eventually would, uh, you know, consult on a lot of cases and deal with a lot of cases. And so they they gave me quite an education over the next few years after originally this guy coming to my office out of the blue, knocking on my door and saying, you know, Dr. Gallagher, um, you know, I know you're a, a Catholic and a psychiatrist and... Uh, you know, we we would be interested in knowing whether you would be willing to see a few cases and help us figure out, you know, if this is something medical or psychiatric yeah. or whether this is generally demonic. Uh, and that that is a evaluation that is often required, you know, at least in the Catholic Church by different dioceses and even, you know, has gone on for centuries. In other words, even in the manual for exorcists, which is called the Rituale Romanum or the uh, Roman ritual, um, sort of very strongly urges when there is any doubt, you know, physicians should be brought into the uh, assessment process. So okay. anyway, uh, you know, I said to him, and you know, I had just I had just lived through an era. I don't know if you're familiar with the term satanic panic. Oh yeah. 
there was this there was this panic that Satanists were all over the place and mm -hmm. kidnapping, you know, 50,000 children a year. I mean, an expert figured out that there weren't even 50,000 missing children <laughs> in a year. <laughs> and that, in fact, uh, most of those most of those kids were, were runaways. So there had been a tremendous exaggeration about Satanists. I mean, in some ways, there still is in America. There's, you know, people who think, you know, Satanists run the government and all that. And I won't get into the politics, but, you know, you know that there are these subcultural hysterias that periodically occur, um, you know, going going back to, you know, the stuff in Europe uh, where, you know, witch, witches were getting centuries ago, witches were you know, thought to be roaming everywhere. Right. But long, long story short, um, I said to the priest, I said, well, you know, with all due respect, Father, and he was a very, he was a very intelligent, erudite guy. I said, with all due respect, I'm a little skeptical of some of these stories. Uh, yeah. I remember him saying to me with a, with a smile, he said, well, then you're the perfect man for the job. Oh. Because he wanted someone who was, Skeptical. In other words, he didn't want somebody who was going to either dismiss the subject, which I didn't, mm -hmm. nor did he want someone who, um, you know, was going to see the devil everywhere. Uh, right. Reminds me of, you know, C.S. Lewis's attitude, if you've ever read him. Uh, you know, he said it's, he said there are two errors when you're dealing with the subject of the demonic. The first is to dismiss the idea altogether. Yeah. and deny that there's a demonic realm. And the second era is to, you know, exaggerate their significance and, you know, think that they're responsible for all the evil in the world. Um, you know, there was a famous Catholic philosopher, theologian, who was an expert in this area, and he said, trust me, human beings are perfectly capable of evil on their own. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. So what are the, the criteria that you use to differentiate between mental illness, such as things like disassociative disorder, psychosis, or personality disorders, and demonic possession? Well, you've, you've listed three good examples of what has to be ruled out. Uh, so first of all, you know, as a very experienced psychiatrist, I, I want to make sure that someone doesn't just have a mental illness. Right. Psychotic patients, for instance, can have hallucinations of demons. Uh, people with dissociative identity disorder, which used to be called multiple personality disorder, right. sometimes elaborate what they call an altar that pretends to be a demon or that they imagine delusionally as a demon. Um, and then there are the different types of personality disorders where someone is struggling with a lot of dark impulses, destructive feelings, aggressive feelings, or in the case of, you know, one of the personality disorders that we call sociopathy, actually dealing with, you know, true evil feelings and behavior. Right. So all these things have to be ruled out. In past centuries, sometimes people thought that epileptics or people with Tourette's disease were possessed. So, <clears throat> you know, the first thing uh, to answer your question is that you have to make sure the person is not suffering from mental illness. Uh, the second thing is to, which is equally important, is to truly do a rigorous discernment that there is something fairly unequivocally uh, giving evidence of a foreign spirit in the in the individual or attacking the individual. So let's talk about possession. I mean, there are different yeah. types of demonic attack. Possession is most dramatic you really have to see the activity of a uh of a demon in in in, in the case of what, what we believe is going on huh. um, and you know how do you do that well uh, again you 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 or the people who surround this person or sometimes the individual themselves the victim i call them uh you know, they're often aware that very strange things are, are happening. Mm -hmm. uh, now, in modern terminology, we often call this the paranormal. Right. But the paranormal is a modern term. 
you know, I am very committed to science, and yes. I regard the term paranormal. It's a useful term, but it's somewhat of a pseudoscientific term. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's what modern uh, observers sort of say, well, we can't figure it out, so let's call it the paranormal. It's essentially referring to non-material realities. Now, sometimes those, you know, realities are hoaxes or misperceptions or hallucinations or this sort of thing. But in a certain amount of cases, I mean, most serious students of human nature realize that there are phenomena that appear to be observed by a lot of different people throughout history. In fact, massive amounts of people, you know, educated people, non-educated people, both. Mm -hmm. And that the explanation is not well explained by material science. And again, I, I want to I emphasize that uh, as a physician, of course, I'm very committed to science. Yeah. And I believe in the Big Bang. I believe in evolution. I believe in the findings of modern science. Uh, I couldn't do my work without scientific grounding. Right. Yeah. Having said that, you know, there are these phenomena that cannot be explained by uh, the modern methods of scientific experimentation and that, that sort of thing. You know, what right. is sometimes technical about it is called methodological naturalism. And these phenomena are, you know, in my opinion, and certainly in the, in the teachings of my church, they are essentially spiritual type of phenomena. And they're, they're, they're either good spirits or they're bad spirits. So they are either um, uh, what we would technically call, again, in Catholic terminology, the supernatural mm -hmm. or the preternatural, preternatural being the realm of the demonic. And that encompasses, you know, a lot of phenomena throughout history. Yeah. I mean, Miracles, for instance, um, I have a good friend who wrote a massive study of miracles throughout the history of the church. His name is, is a Protestant theologian and, and friend of mine called Craig Keener. He has this magisterial work of miracles throughout history. I mean, a lot of people would call that stuff the paranormal, but, you know, we, we Christians would call it the supernatural. Then there's, you know, uh, a number of works. Uh, I could cite them, uh, but, you know, I write, I write about them in my book, Demonic Foes. There, there are many studies, including my own, where, you know, we're reporting a lot of demonic phenomena throughout history. Mm -hmm. um, it, it reminds me of a, of a woman I dealt with, and she was one of these rare Satanist women. Um, that's the character that uh, Jason Blum is going to make a movie about. Uh, nice. And... Um, she was uh, she was flamboyantly possessed, and she had different psychic powers. I can give some examples in a minute if you want. Sure. And she um, said to me once, she said, well, people think I'm gifted. And she said, there are no gifted people. There are only people who have favors and you know she did believe in god although she claimed not to really understand god and she was more comfortable literally worshiping satan she was one of these rare people who were truly mm -hmm. satan worshipers and she said there's only two people you get you get these psychic powers either from above from god uh, or you get these powers from below you know mm -hmm. and uh it it, it it struck me as an apt uh, um, summary of what I'm saying that the, the, the paranormal in its legitimate uh, phenomena uh, when not simply misperceptions you know is usually either supernatural or preternatural so in your professional opinion why do you feel like there is a certain what I feel is a large majority of people who are having these uh, for lack of a better term, psychotic breaks. Uh, why does religion seem to come into this where people think that they're hearing the voice of God or they think that they're Jesus or some other religious figure? Well, again, if they think they're Jesus, they're usually psychotic. 
But, and, and you know, I, I understand, you know, I've dealt my whole life. I mean, my job as a physician is to help suffering people. And I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've dealt with, you know, literally thousands of psychotic individuals. So we're not talking here about psychotic individuals. What we're talking here is people who have this unequivocal demonstration of something, you know, paranormal. Mm-hmm. For instance, you know, people who have, uh, the ability to reveal hidden things about people, you know, what we yeah. call a knowledge or people who all of a sudden a voice will come out of them and they will speak foreign languages that they had never studied. Uh, demons, in fact, are quite intelligent and they know pretty much all foreign, all languages throughout history. They're, they're that intelligent and they've been observing us uh, since the dawn of man. So, you know, I often say to people um, that, you know, how many patients do you know who all of a sudden start speaking perfect Latin or yeah. who can tell you things like this Satanist woman told me how my mother died, but she also had all kinds of other uh, knowledge of people's, um, you know, lives. She could actually see people at a distance. That's wow. what the paragraph that's what the parapsychologists call remote viewing. Mm-hmm. And she demonstrated these things, you know, to me, certainly to my satisfaction. So <clears throat> when the when the demon manifests, in addition to um, exhibiting these paranormal powers, which this woman could exhibit even, even when she was not in a trance of a possession wow. uh, and, and did not want to give up these powers, by the way, um, the uh, demon itself will often show tremendous hostility to anything sacred or religious. So, for instance, they will, you know, curse and uh, I guess the word would be blaspheme about anything religious. They yeah. curse God. They curse holy objects. Uh, they they sometimes have the ability to, um, you know, scro- destroy holy objects. I mean, again, that's that's not that's not mental illness. That's not psychosis. Yeah. So there has to be this very strong evidence. Believe me, I'm, I'm you know I'm reasonably as a person, I'm a reasonably skeptical person, and it takes a lot to convince me. But when you've seen enough of these cases, as I have, you know, you realize there's a pattern here. There's a syndrome, yeah. and the syndrome shows absolute uh, evidence of a spirit that has powers beyond normality, and number two, um, you know, expresses itself as as hating God and religion. Uh, almost all cultures, by the way, as you may be aware, have reported cases of possession. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, sometimes they make mistakes, or they have a, I would say, a theoretical structure which, um, you know, misinterprets it as some type of superstitious thing, like I'm possessed by a dead soul or I'm possessed yeah. by an ant or that sort of thing. Um, what, what has always convinced me as well is that under the influence of a genuine exorcism, uh, these demons who often pretend they're something else, and they may pretend they're an ancient god, or they may pretend they're Hitler or Judas Iscariot or something. Yeah. Under the influence of a successful series of exorcisms, they are forced, against their will, by the way, they are forced to reveal their real name, and then then they then they name themselves as, you know, the demonic entity that they are. I mean, that's an invariable pattern, and it's a good sign because it often means that the person will soon be delivered. Okay, so once once you get the the demon to admit who they really are, that's like the writings on the wall, the the person's on the way towards. It's, it's a part of the process, and and you know it's sort of it's sort of an indication uh, that they are being forced. You know, we mm-hmm. Christians believe by our Lord, they're being right. forced by the Lord to do something they don't want to do, yeah. because all throughout history they have hidden under the guise of you know pretending they're someone else or something mm-hmm. else. I often tell people, you know, I was a student of classics at, at Princeton, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and I was very struck by the story of the Delphic Oracle. People would come from all over yeah. the Mediterranean world uh, to speak to her, 
and she she clearly was the repository of you know you might say secret information but the actual phenomena that she exhibited is she would be this you know uneducated peasant woman who would go into a trance and out of her mouth would come this this different voice using her vocal cords but it would be the voice professing to be Apollo. And, uh, you know, even though some of that stuff was even understood at the time to be superstitious, you know, there were plenty of ancient people who believed in the gods. In fact, most cultures have believed in deities. And, uh, you know, pre, pre the, you know, the, the, the triumph, you might say, of Judaism, Christianity, and, and the Muslims, all of whom believed evil spirits or fallen angels, or at least, at least uh, throughout much of their history. Um, so these demons will often pretend to be something like an ancient god, and that's mm-hmm. exhibited very well by the story of the Delphic Oracle, who would, yeah. went, who would go into a trance and then would not remember what she said. Right. I mean, that's a possession. And that, okay. in that case, is a, it's a voluntary possession. There are okay. all these different types of possessions. So you can invite something to to come possess you for a finite period of time to, for whatever reason you. Oh, you can hope that they that they come <laughs> in for a finite period right. of time. You're sort of playing with fire. It's not a a very sensible thing to do. Yeah. You don't but, have any control you know, over the time. Yeah, but there are people who have had that ability. For instance, okay. the MS-13 gangsters, who are kind of devil worshippers of mm-hmm. sorts. Uh, they sometimes, and this has been reported many times in newspapers and stuff, they will have one of their members invite an evil spirit in. Wow. That evil spirit will give them, you know, knowledge, say, about their enemies. And then, you know, and then after after that, the, the spirit seems to leave. So, you know, there are these different types of, uh, of possessions uh, and Sometimes it's voluntary. Mostly the cases I write about and the people who want help, most of the time that's involuntary. Involuntary, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so have you experienced any any backlash either personally or professionally because of your involvement with this? I would say in general, no, which surprises people. Uh, yeah, it is a little surprising. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I'm a fairly well-trained, I, I think, well-respected psychiatrist. And, you know, we live in the, we live in a very pluralistic country. We live in a yeah. very religiously tolerant country. So I'm sure that there are, you know, colleagues who disagree with my views, but, you know, it's not like they, it's not like they make a, a crusade about it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, knock on wood, I mean, I try to protect myself spiritually and have people pray for me. I'm going to ask your audience to pray for me because uh, sure. I'm shameless asking for people's prayers. <laughs> uh, so I, I feel a little bit protected. There, there, there is always little, and if you talk to any experienced deliverance minister or exorcist, they will say there's always little stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. For instance, you know, many, many exorcists have told me that, you know, phone calls and uh, electronic equipment that they use sometimes goes a little haywire. Yeah. I have had happen to me. I appeared on a uh, television show with some some good Christian ladies, and uh, they told me right before the show, they said, uh, "Dr. Gallagher, I don't know, I don't know what's with it today, but you know, our studio has never had more technical <laughs> problems today." So that kind of stuff can happen, and it has happened a little bit to me, but nothing catastrophic. Well, you know, we had some technical difficulties before we started this interview, so I wonder if that has anything to do with it. I didn't think you about never that. Know. Never know. Never <laughs> so, be, being a Catholic such as as yourself, have have you uh, have your experiences changed or affected your beliefs at all? Well, I was brought up Catholic and, you know, like a lot of young, young people, you know, I questioned things for a while and, uh, um, but, um, you know, it's not like I, I, it's not like I ever went through a period where, you know, I questioned a belief in God or something, mm-hmm. but I, I would say that over the years, you know, dealing with these many cases, 
as I said, I've probably seen more of these cases than any physician in history. Uh, it, it absolutely deepens and strengthens your faith. I mean, it's very hard for me to, you know, not to accept the teachings of the church about yeah. uh, evil spirits, for instance. And, you know, when you read the Gospels and, and you know, of course, Jesus was the great, the great exorcist of all time, in our view, uh, it sort of uh, validates because the kind of things he was dealing with are the same type of things that the modern people in the, in the, in the churches and in other religions, too, have to deal with. So it certainly validates the um, accuracy of those reports, in my opinion. Do you, I, well, before I ask my next question, I, I can certainly see how doing something like this would would deepen your faith. Um, it, it makes total sense that it would solidify, you know, your what, what your current beliefs are or maybe even goes to far as if you were at a point to where, you, eh, I'm not sure, maybe, you know, Maybe God exists. Maybe He doesn't. You know, I can see where where this would help you make up your mind. You know, uh, so it makes perfectly good sense to me that it would 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 deepen your faith. Um, and even though that you yourself are, we've already established that you're not an actual exorcist. But do you feel that by participating in what what you're doing here, do you feel that you're opening yourself up to receive? a demonic attack or, or maybe even be possessed yourself? Well, I mean, it goes back to your, your, your question, um, uh, about, you know, whether I've been harassed myself. Uh, I would say in general, no. Uh, and I, I, I do believe that, um, you know, a good spiritual life and, and striving for goodness in your life in general mm-hmm. is, is protective. Um, you know, this sort of thing doesn't just happen to anyone. So, uh, you know, it's not like people should wake up in the morning and worry that they got possessed during that night. Yeah. Um, it usually is, it, it affects at least possessions. Um, and there are some exceptions for more minor attacks, what we sometimes call oppression. But with possessions, the, the, the victim... And I do regard them as victims because they, they, they get in over their head. They often have ha- had to invite the spirit in in some way, okay. uh, consciously or not, because, you know, but if they turn to occult forces, like get involved in, you know, black magic or, right. you know, unsavory activities, and I would include things like mediums and fortune tellers. If somebody gets involved in that stuff, they, they kind of, to use the lingo, they, they can open a door. Also, people who are, who turn to evil. You know, I write about a guy in, in my book named, I call him uh, Juan. Uh, none of these names are accurate because I disguise their identity. Right. And with their permission, often have told their stories. However, all the facts that I discuss in the book about these cases are 100% accurate. And Juan was a gangster, uh, and, you know, he was uh, a criminal, and he later realized how much he had turned to evil, and he, he had even turned to, uh, you know, sort of this occult, devil cult of Santa Muerte, holy death. And uh, he claimed that, you know, Satan himself gave him a lot of successful um, trappings of of, of, a, of a criminal life, mm-hmm. but then got then got arrested. He was put in prison, and you know the, the prison chaplain um, legitimately um, discerned that he was possessed. So that would be that would be you know a good example of, of you know what happens to a person who truly gets possessed. Yeah. I often tell people something which surprises them because I'm. Again, I'm talking about people who are who have never been patients of mine, uh, even though I've seen a lot of these people. Mm-hmm. And I've been to a couple of hundred exorcisms as well. Um, but during the course of my life as a very busy clinician, I'm still very busy. Um, I've seen about 27,000 people in my life. Wow. As, as psychiatric patients. These are as patients. Mm-hmm. 
uh, in different settings. And I, for a while, I was uh, emergency director for my county. Now, I want you to take a guess. How many of those people have I thought were possessed of those 27,000 patients? I would, I would say probably a small number. Uh, a very small number, none. Yeah. Really? Of those 27,000 people, I've never said any of them are possessed. Okay. So you can understand that I, I believe that possession is a rare thing. Yeah. Now, why, why have I been able to write about these things uh, and give quite a few examples? It's, again, because, you know, people from all over the world have contacted me, and I've assessed people based on often clergy reports mm-hmm. that there is something weird going on with them. So it's that's a very selected population, but those are not patients. So by contrast, okay. of those cases, you know, a reasonably a reasonably high percentage do in fact have something demonic. Okay, so I'm glad you made that distinction because I was I was about to ask you about that. So what you're saying is patients are those people that you are seeing on a uh, let's just say a professional level. They are, they are coming to you or you're being assigned to them in the hospital or, or whatever. And Correct. what you do with the exorcisms and the, the church, you do not consider those people to be patients. Exactly. And they're not patients. Okay. I mean, they're not legally, medical right. legally. They're not patients of mine. I mean, if, if they need, you know, because it's a stressful thing to be possessed, let me assure you. Yeah. You know, if they need support, I, I try to help them get support from somewhere, someone else, but I'm not treating them. So are you, are, you're not bound by uh, HIPAA when, whenever you're evaluating those, those people? I started to say, well, it's not, it's not really a question of HIPAA because number one, they're not my patient. Right. And number two, they've given me permission to talk about them. Okay. So um, it's, again, I don't have a physician relationship with them okay. as they well know. And they're not asking me to treat them. I mean, I'm just doing, you know, voluntary evaluations. Evaluations, right. They're, and they're voluntarily, you know, talking to me. I mean, they often are extremely uh, grateful that, you know, I have validated their perception or the perception of their, their clergy. Uh, and, and with the International Association, which is approved by the Vatican, mm-hmm. uh, for a while I, I, I had served on their governing board, and I'm still sort of a, a scientific advisor for them of sorts. In fact, this coming September for, you know, for a repeated time, I'm going to address about 500 exorcists in the world. Wow. And I, I always I always mention when people ask about the evidence for this thing, I say, well, <clears throat> there are a lot of cultural anthropologists who have written about these things, although sometimes from an agnostic point of view. Mm-hmm. I wrote a book uh, presenting my experiences with a number, of, quite a number of possessed cases, in part because you know I got asked to do that. It's not something that I particularly. Uh, volunteered to do either and I also you know felt it would be a service to the educated public as well as um, uh, you know alert alert people about the reality of the stuff and you know where to turn to for help because some of these individuals uh, have no idea where to turn to and I can't see you know I can't see everybody who contacts me right wanted to put down my thoughts in a book but I, I often tell people, too, I said, look, you know, I'm a professor and a board-certified physician. You know, I'm not going to write a book and just make up stories. Yeah. Because there, there are people who do that, by the way. And, you know, I won't mention any names, but there are people who have just made up stories in this area. Um, you know, That's everything a good way I, to ruin your reputation. Well, in addition, yeah, in addition, it would be sort of a crazy thing for me to do. Um, but I tell people, you know, you don't have to believe me, even if, even if I'm persuasive to a lot of people, and I have been persuasive to a lot of people, I have a good Jewish physician friend of mine who, you know, he said, this book blows me away. He said, I never knew you did this, Rich, and I'm telling you, no one can say that a, a scientifically 
trained physician hasn't made a very good case for evil spirits. That that was kind of the reaction I wanted from an educated reader. Nice. But again, I say I say you know I it's not my job to convince people. You know it really isn't. I mean uh, you know God gives us the evidence He wants to give us. You know I mean you can't do experiments on these people when people try to videotape them. <laughs> Uh, they're often unsuccessful. Yeah, but I say you don't have to believe me. I say every two years, uh, you know, I go to a meeting with 500 exorcists. Talk to any of them; they all have stories similar to mine. These are Catholic exorcists. Yeah, and many of them are written books. So it's not like you have to believe, you know, Dr. Gallagher. If I can, if I can make one religious an- an- um, analogy, which I often do. Um, at the uh, risk of getting a little uh, uh, religious for a minute. That's uh, fine. I, I say, um, you know, you don't have to believe me. You you can believe any of these 500 exorcists who are perfectly happy to talk to about this stuff mm-hmm. openly, as I am. And that's very similar to St. Paul. When St. Paul went to the Corinthians, which would be a little bit like, I suppose, a, a preacher from, an, a, in his case, a former rabbi from uh, Alabama going to uh, San Francisco or something. Yeah. And and what he said to these sophisticated Corinthians, he said, well, <laughs> I know that Jesus rose from the dead. He said, in part, because he appeared to me, knocked him off a horse. I mean, this this was not just you know, supposedly, and, you know, made him mute for a while. Uh, you know, he he was absolutely convinced this was Jesus. This was not just some hallucination. Uh, but he said, you don't have to believe me. He said, there are 500 people. I mean, this is right in the letter to the Corinthians. He said, there are 500 people who saw him. He said, and they're still alive. He said, if you don't believe me, go talk to them. Go talk to them, yeah. so, uh, you know, it's a strong argument, in my opinion. It doesn't convince everybody, but no. um, it, it underscores my point that, in fact, if you look at the total evidence, even though these cases are rare, and most doctors, even most priests, by the way, are never going to see a case of possession. But uh, if you look at the total evidence throughout history, the evidence is, is actually quite massive. Uh, and again, you don't have to take just my word for it. Do, do you think that the the cases of demonic possession are, are on the rise? I mean, you never really know. Uh, you know, it's not like anybody, you know, has the definitive answer on, in that. And there are some countries, you know, for instance, in, in Haiti and in Madagascar, uh, you know, people have been reporting many cases of possession for centuries. Uh, and, you know, if you ask them, you know, do you believe in evil spirits? You, you ask that of a Haitian or, uh, you know, a native of Madagascar, they'll say, I certainly do, because I, <laughs> you know. So it, it, it sort of depends. Um, when, when people sometimes say to me, well, as a psychiatrist, um, how does it feel to be out of the mainstream? And I say, well, you know, it's not the job of psychiatrists normally to to diagnose spiritual problems. Mm-hmm. So I understand that. And I also understand that psychiatrists who see a lot of psychotic individuals are going to kind of think the whole thing is, you know, just crazy people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I said, exactly what mainstream are you talking about? I said, if, if, you, if you take American society you know, even though there's been a decline in Christian beliefs, uh, the majority of Americans not only believe in God, they also believe in the devil. Uh, So I'm not out of the mainstream there. If you look at world history, the vast majority, and around the world even today, the vast majority of human beings believe in evil spirits. Now, are some of them superstitious? Sure. Or sometimes do they make mistakes? Uh, Sure. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mentioned to people, my book has been translated in, in so far three other languages, Spanish, Polish, but also in Japanese. And, you know, East Asians who are not 
certainly the Japanese, who are not particularly Christian, they have a very active belief in evil spirits. That's why the book is selling well there, too. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I don't exactly see myself as out of the mainstream, but it depends on it depends on what the audience. <laughs> is. So can, can you uh, since we're talking about the book and everything, uh, can, can you tell me how this this book came about? Well, a, a lot of a lot of uh, individuals, you know, including exorcists, by the way, asked me to write my experience because, um, you know, they thought it might might help people. Not only people who might suspect they were affected, but also, you know, might have mental illness, mm-hmm. and so they and clergy could discern better, you know, which cases which cases were mentally ill, in which cases, uh, you know, needed needed more spiritual help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also wrote it for the educated public who might just find this subject, which is a little convoluted, uh, yeah. might find this subject um, uh, of interest. Um, so, uh, you know, I decided to write up my experience with the permission of some of the cases I talk about. And, um, you know, it's sort of become a bestseller. I was going to ask you how your book sales were going, and you just answered that question. So that's good. Yeah, it's sold, it's sold uh, pretty well. Good. It has what they call a long tail. In other words, that's the publishing lingo for it keeps selling. Good. You know, uh, you know some some novels or so may 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 sell very well for a couple yeah. months, but this has been out now almost almost two years, and it's it wow. still sells very well. Good. Well, congratulations on that. They are going to make a movie out of the case of the Satanist woman that I write about at length in chapter three of the book. Yeah, and, and I, uh, I, w- I wanted to touch on that a little bit. Um, when did um, tell tell me about being approached by you know this this A list Hollywood filmmaker and and how, how well, did Jason Jason Bloom uh, to use the uh, New York Yiddish term is a, is a big mocker, meaning a you know a very powerful um, uh, player in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and he um, he um, I was put in contact with him, and you know he said, uh, Rich, um, you know this is the the hottest intellectual property I've ever seen, so he loved the story, and uh, you know. He made me an offer, and uh, I don't particularly do this for the money, but he was willing to tell to tell me that he would make a credible movie. Uh, he made me executive producer, by the way, which is well. That's good. That gives you some control. Yeah, it gives me some control. I mean, executive producer is sort of a position where it it is what they allow you to do. You yeah. know, it's not like I have full control, but I hope to make a a credible movie, Uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping uh, that it'll come out in about, about a year or two. Uh, So is it in uh, what they call pre-production right now? Yeah, pre-production. There's a very fine uh, director who did the movie Spotlight, which uh, won the Academy Award. Uh, That was about the abuse of um, priest situation, Mm -hmm. which was, a tragedy but uh his name is tom mccarthy he's the director and he's very involved in you know putting the pieces together can do you do you have any any uh actors that are is there anything you can tell me about you know like who's going to be no, in I, it or? it hasn't, hasn't reached the stage uh, okay. you know who's going to play me i originally did not want to be portrayed as a character in the movie and then yeah. you know Jason said to me well look you know you got you you know you're an integral part of the story you gotta be yeah there's no way you can't be <laughs> well you know, g- good luck with that man I, I'm I'm looking forward to that coming out and is what made him pick that one particular story obviously you can't you know make a one movie that has everything in the book in it but what made that one uh, particular story stick out to him do you know well, that story is amazing. I mean, it's, it's you know, um, and again, um, that, that was a couple of years after uh, the priest originally had talked to me about a case. Mm-hmm. This was this was 
order was described by the two exorcists involved, both of whom are now deceased, but were had become good friends of mine by that time. This is a this is a case that they themselves described as the a once in a century case. Wow. You think about the unique features of the case. Number one, she was a practicing Satanist, which again is rare. You know, I'm not seeing Satanists all over the place. Yeah. So she had this incredibly dramatic possession, with all kinds of, with all kinds of demonstrated features of the paranormal, like you know, superhuman strength during the exorcisms, speaking foreign languages, but even outside the exorcisms. You know, being able to describe to me people from a distance, Mm -hmm. having all kinds of secret knowledge. Um, So it was a very dramatic case. And she actually specifically, I think she respected doctors. In fact, she respected doctors more than priests who she sometimes mistreated. Um, She'd had some bad experiences with priests, unfortunately. And, um, you know, she said to me, uh, before, before she told me she was dying, uh, that I could write about her story. So that's, that's kind of a unique combination of factors. I often tell the story of how I first met her. Uh, the priest was very eager for me to see her, not because they were confused about her being possessed. They had no doubt. And she had already been evaluated by mental health people and everybody was in agreement that she had a dramatic possession. In fact, I witnessed, you know, several times demonic voices coming out of her, uh, very crude and very arrogant voices. Mm. And uh, but the the way I got to meet her for the first time, you know, I had been um, told by the priest that they wanted me to try to talk to her again, pro bono, talk to her about why she was so ambivalent about getting exorcisms, which she was in part because she was afraid that she would literally be killed by the cult if she turned to the church. Uh, So this was sort of a hairy case. Yeah. But what happened is, you know, my wife and I, with our two cats, were in the bedroom uh, of our house. And um, just one night, in the middle of the night, these cats went berserk. They, they, they just started fighting each other, clawing each other, almost like trying to destroy each other. We had to separate them. And, you know, we wondered, you know, was this some catnip or was this? Yeah. What's going on? You know, bad food or something. Yeah. You know, why did they go berserk? But, you know, we separated them and went back to sleep. The very next morning, again, unknown to me that this was going to happen. This, this priest who originally came to my office at Cornell, he said he, he, he rings the doorbell and he brought this woman to my house. Oh. And uh, he introduces me to her and the first things out of her mouth were, well, Dr. Gallagher, I've heard a lot about you. Um, oh, by the way, she says this with a smirk. Oh, by the way, how did you like those cats last night? Now, I had never met her before. Wow. So somehow she knew about that. Um, now I was a little annoyed at her for, you know, I'm thinking whatever crazy yeah. way she involved in this. And I was also annoyed at the priest. And I said to him later, I said, Father, with all due respect, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be of help to you and the church. But with all due respect, do not bring a Satanist to my neighbor. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> he apologized profusely about and. His excuse was, look, you know, she had come to town. She didn't live in our area, uh, in the New York area. And she had come to town, and he said, I really wanted, you know, you to get to see her as soon as possible. Good intention is just uh, not the best way to go about it. (laughs) So in in your opinion, Dr. Gallagher, what what is Hollywood getting right about demonic possession, and, and, and what are they getting wrong? And I, I want to ask you too. No, it, it, it depends on the movie. Uh, yeah. You know, some of them are sort of credible. Uh, um, I wanted to ask you what you, if you had seen any of the the movie series that had uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren in it, and what you thought uh, about I knew, that. I knew the Warrens. Yeah, uh, 
Well, I knew I knew Lorraine uh, when this priest exorcist died. I met her, I met Lorraine at the uh, you know at the uh, funeral. She was very gracious, and you know she knew that we had been friends, so she gave me her, my commiseration. Uh, I liked her. Um, the the stories in the Conjuring series, uh, you know, perhaps reflect in part what Hollywood can get wrong. I mean, they're loosely yeah. based stories, but some of them are just ludicrous. You know, yeah. they exaggerationalize. Uh, I'm hoping I don't have thousand percent control, but I'm hoping that we do a very credible movie. Um, and that's that's the danger of a lot of these. Hollywood supernatural yeah. demonic they, they exaggerate um, but some of them you know like for instance the original exorcist some of them have you know a fair kernel of truth even though that was fictionalized you know it, it portrayed the the case of, of in real life a boy who, who clearly had been possessed mm -hmm. from Maryland um, so that that movie in its own way even though it was fiction has has more credibility. What I would say is what they mostly get wrong, though, is they act like exorcism is magic and that the priest is like a witch doctor and all he has to do is, you know, say the right mumbo-jumbo prayers and, you know, the, the case is solved. Yeah, throw some holy more, water. And... More complicated than that. Yeah. First of all, any any good priest is going to say exorcism is, is of value. And it's an important part of the integral process of people getting delivered at that level of of uh, severity of uh, a demonic attack. Having said that, uh, number one, it's not the exorcist himself who delivers the person. It's God or our Lord. And number two, the person has to work at it. It doesn't just happen just as just as possessions don't happen out of the blue to anybody, you know, uh, but only these people who have, you know, the cliche is open door, yeah. but also the individual has to work at it. They have to reform their life. Uh, a very good example would be the Satanist woman I talked about versus the gangster. Mm -hmm. The gangster was eventually delivered by a series of successful exorcisms, but he also worked at it. In other words, he had been brought up Catholic. Uh, you know, he returned to the church and the sacraments and, you know, he reformed his life and he admitted that, you know, he was sorry for all the evil he had done as a gangster. Whereas, by contrast, uh, the woman, the Satanist woman who I call by the pseudonym Julia, uh, she, uh, she refused to turn to God. I mean, you know, she continued... To, to sort of bank on, uh, you know, her supposed friendship with Satan, mm -hmm. uh, a, a Faustian bargain, if, if there ever was one. And in part, it's also because she was afraid. She was afraid of leaving the cult. She claimed that she was had been in love with the leader of the cult. She claimed that if she left the cult, that she would be severely punished and, mm -hmm. and m maybe even killed. So eventually she got too scared. She resisted continuing exorcism. She had a few, um, but, you know, it, it didn't lead to, you know, a definitive determination. And so she she dropped out. And so, you know, she was never delivered. And later, later I got a call from her telling me that she was dying. Mm. Did she... Um... So even after she was dying, she stuck to her guns and didn't. Well, you know, as far as I know, I mean, you know, you leave it in God's hands. I mean, you right. know, somebody, somebody, be, just because somebody is possessed, don't mean doesn't mean they reject God. Ultimately, that you know, and they at that point become more of a victim yeah. than a willing participant. Uh, I don't, I don't happen to know the circumstances of her death, although, you know, yeah. she she did tell me that she was dying of cancer. So if, if there's anybody that's uh, listening to this podcast who's experiencing what they think is a demonic attack, what is your advice as far as what they should do? 
Well, they should they should seek, and I understand it's sometimes easier said than done. They should try to seek help from their locale. You know, I mean, probably it would be sensible to talk to you know an educated clergy. Uh, again, there are there are fundamentalist clergy who, you know, unfortunately seem to see the devil everywhere. So you have to be a little selective who you talk to. You want a sensible, sober person. And and in many cases, they, they should also get some kind of medical or psycho, psychological evaluation. Now, it is true that a certain amount of, uh, you know, mental health people are, are going to be in over their head about this. Yeah. They just automatically say, well, this person is psychotic. But, um, you know, if they keep persisting and pray about it, they usually are able to find, you know, some local people who have some expertise. And I have a, a question that I, I promised my wife I would ask you. Um, and I think I already know the answer to this. But I, I was telling her in prep for interviewing you today, I was we were talking about uh, – she was asking me, you know, who I was interviewing, and and I was telling her who and a little bit about what I know about you. And she wanted to know, uh, do you actively participate in any of the exorcisms? Are you present when they happen, or do you just do your evaluation and then, like? Well, you know, I'm late? a busy guy, and, uh, you know, as far as I know, there's only 24 hours in a day. Right. So, you know, unfortunately, I can't see everybody who wants to see me part of the reason I wrote the book, but I certainly can't attend all the exorcisms. I have been to about, and some of these were repeat exorcisms, I've been to about 200 exorcisms in my life as an observer, wow. but that's all, just an observer, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and sometimes they want a doctor there, which is not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, but again, it's, 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 it's not like I'm, you know, conversing or shouting yeah. commands questions to the right. demon that I don't do. Gotcha. You're not the exorcist. You're just the consultant for the, the right. person. I almost said and patient, but we're not calling them patients. It's important that people keep their role, their proper role. Yes, sir. I agree. This is important that a lot of, a lot of really good exorcists are experienced enough that they can do most of the discernment on their own. But uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a prudent thing and you have to be sensible and have your yeah. feet on the ground. It's often helpful that they do consult a mental health professional, and in a similar way, you know, I, I think people easily, uh, you know, can sort of get in over their head and yeah. start to start to promote themselves as, you know, well, I can drive out demons or I can command demons, right. which often ends badly. I can see that. <laughs> so, final question for tonight: uh, Can you tell my listeners? where they can find your book if they want to purchase it. Well, like most other books uh, around the world, I guess, you know, the, the easiest way is just to go on Amazon. Um, there's a wonderful, I think, I think if you sign up for something, you can even get it for free, audible version, okay. which is narrated by a guy I know. Uh, I didn't like the narratives that they proposed, so I know this uh Shakespearean actor who has nice. this incredible, powerful voice. Yeah. And I said, why don't you ask him? And he was <laughs> gracious enough to do the narration. Nice. So that's one option. I mean, it is, it is out in paperback now and okay. you can easily get it um, from Amazon. And, and I'm, I'm told it's in, it's in most, you know, big bookstores now too. Uh, Barnes and Noble books a million I think, but, you know, again, I mean, you can certainly also get it from HarperCollins, which uh, I think is the second biggest publishing company in the world. They're the ones who who published it, and, you know, you can certainly get it at their website uh, also. So it's it's a fairly easy easy book to to purchase. And now I I know you're not a a social media guy. Uh, Do you have a a website or or anything – where no, I, I intentionally am not a social media yeah. guy because I would get inundated. <laughs> uh, I, I do not have a website. Um, I'm not promoting, okay. you know, this aspect of my life. I mean, I, I, I will say sort of that if people make a major effort, they, they, they seem to be able to find me. Yeah. Uh, but I, 
don't make it so easy. I certainly um, do not promote myself on any, you know, website yeah. or anything like that. It's probably a good thing that you don't do social media because it's just social media these days is awful. <laughs> I have to say it's just. Well, you know, between between the book and other writings I've done, I mean, you know, I've had a lot of uh, a lot of positive praise about what I do in the book, but I've also had the the usual uh, cowboy cowboy uh, critics. So yeah. uh, you can certainly read a spectrum of opinion if you look up my name. Uh, but I, I, quite frankly, explicitly, I don't I don't make it a simple thing to get a hold of me. Put it that way. It's probably a good thing. Probably a good thing. Well, I certainly appreciate you taking time out of your your busy schedule to be on this podcast this afternoon, and it's been a, a great interview. I learned a lot of stuff, and uh, I have talked to in the past a couple of people who claimed I'm using my air quotes that they were um, experts on demonic possession and exorcism and and stuff of that nature. But uh, you're the first person I've ever had the privilege to talk to who comes approaches it from a medical and a scientific side. And uh, I really appreciate the work that you're doing to help those people coming from someone who is one medical professional to the other. I applaud you, and I'm so glad that there is someone out there such as yourself who is doing the work that they're doing. And so, so thank and you. I, I should also say, like, you know, I'm not – I'm probably more experienced than any other physician uh, probably in the world. But, you know, it's not like there are, aren't other psychiatrists who have Christian backgrounds or Catholic backgrounds who are pretty knowledgeable, too. So I'm not the only guy involved in this field. And the other thing is, yes, I try to approach it scientifically. And I tell people, uh, and this is opposed to some fundamentalists. You know, I, I tell people I, I am also grounded in science. You know, I believe in, in, in science. I had a debate recently with a guy who was, you know, kind of a, what what they, what they you would call a creationist and uh, mm -hmm. a science skeptic. And um, I said, well, you know, you know, God created the universe and complicated ways and you know it's been around for 13.7 billion years from the big bang and he said dr gallagher you know how can you possibly believe in the big bang it contradicts the bible and i said number one i absolutely disagree you're misreading you know the bible you're interpreting it too literally and number two i i asked him i said do you know who came up with the theory of the big bang course he didn't know it was a belgium catholic priest a very devout priest who came up with it about a hundred years ago and you know he was an astrophysicist as well as a priest mm. and he it's interesting that einstein originally did not believe him you know because it involves this idea which is you know sort of compatible although it doesn't prove you know a created universe um but it certainly you know, propounds the idea that the universe is expanding, that sort of thing. And uh, later in his life, Einstein says, says to people, you know, that damn, that damn priest was right. <laughs> so, you know, the Catholic tradition has always been, and I, you know, I would say the, the Orthodox Christian position has always been that, you know, you can believe in both science and faith and they don't contradict each other. That's certainly a major sub theme of what I've tried to write about. Well, I, I'm looking forward to um, reading your book. I, admittedly, I, I haven't uh, read your book yet, but after talking to you this afternoon, I'm definitely going to be hopping onto Amazon first thing and uh, getting me a copy of, of your book. And I certainly appreciate you taking the time to uh, appear on this podcast, everyone. Once again, this is Dr. Richard Gallagher. He is the author of the book, Demonic Forces, my 25 years as a psychiatrist. It's actually, it's actually demonic foes. F -O -E oh, it is. It is foes. I'm looking at it and I just read it wrong. So let me re let me redo that. <laughs> this has been Dr. Richard Gallagher. He is the author of Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as a Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, 
and the paranormal. You can find it on harpercollins.com or Amazon, which is probably the quickest and the easiest way to find it. Dr. Gallagher, thank you so much for not only the work you do, but for taking time out of your busy schedule to appear on my little podcast. And it's, it's been a very, very nice conversation and an honor and a pleasure to speak to you today, sir. Well, thank you for the invitation. And, yes, um, and, and you know, I appreciate a, a thoughtful interview such as you did. Thank you very much, and and uh, I hope to uh, be able to sit in the movie theater within the next couple of years and uh, see your movie and say, I know the guy that did that, and maybe we can get you back on after that. That would be my pleasure. Thank you very much, sir. You have a good afternoon, and we'll be talking to you. You too.